historic revivals my lord i thank you tonight for the word of the lord we love your word i thank you for such an open heaven your glory in this place holy spirit we thank you for coming to anoint and empower this time and glorify christ i thank you jesus for being in the midst of us and i thank you lord for speaking through me tonight everything that needs to be spoken under a strong anointing Lord, as living seeds of truth sown out in a good soil, even now, I thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit moving upon every one of us that's going to be listening to this to help us or watching this to help us get focused and locked in to give you our best ear, our full attention. We're not going to be distracted by things. There's no hindrance. But, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit helping us to be good soil and, and locked into what you're saying. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear tonight. And Lord, I thank you as you speak through me that this, these living seeds of truth sown into good soil, watered by the Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And Lord, I thank you for everything accomplished in and through this, that your will to be done, your word will not return void, but accomplish that which you sent forth to do. Now the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we submit this unto you. We resist the devil. He must flee. We agree together as a church. Anything that would try to hinder this word, we, in Jesus' name, we bind it now. We command you to back off. We break your power in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for just clearing away any hindrance. Right now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, how many of you guys have learned something in these historic revivals series that we're going through? Well, I'm still on this time frame of the late 1800s, early 1900s, but tonight in this, I'm going to deal specifically with holiness and the fear of the Lord. So um, this is going to be part nine still, but there's like an ABC. This is like an addendum to part nine. Uh, a couple things here. I feel that in revival, and when we've looked at this, if you go back and think about Cambridge, what was the great manifestations at Cambridge? One of them was that the fear of God came down and people would feel the fear of the Lord and they would try to run. Remember that? And then they would collapse along the way only to get up saved and transformed. And the same type of thing was every revival. Which you've got to understand, when the Lord comes, the Bible says... In Revelation, the seven spirits of God, but there's not seven different Holy Spirits. It's one Holy Spirit, but he's the sevenfold manifestation. He come, when he comes in his fullness, he comes, Isaiah reveals it as the spirit of the Lord, but wisdom, revelation, counsel, and might, knowledge, and what? The fear of the Lord. And the Bible says about Jesus, it goes on to say in Isaiah, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. If you want to do an awesome study in the Bible, study the fear of the Lord and the promises connected to those that fear the Lord. And so when the Holy Spirit is poured out and he comes in an awesome way, one of the manifestations will be a holy fear of God. And I think about in all the revivals, but in, in the Welsh revival, people were gripped with the fear of God. When Charles Finney would preach, people were gripped with the fear of the Lord. Think about the awesome stories of the Hebridean revival. How people, whole areas, would the fear of God would come. They would even be awakened out of the sleep in the middle of the night. And Duncan Campbell said he, he was told, you need to come quickly to the church like three in the morning, mind you. People were gathered in, the house was full. 
And he said, why are they here? And what happened was the Holy Spirit fell on a community. They were awakened in the middle of the night. They felt a holy fear of God that they, if they were to perish, they were going to go to hell. And they, they didn't know what to do, so they just made for the church in the middle of the night. That's the fear of the Lord. Now, one of the main aspects of revival is a restoration of the holiness of us understanding a holy God how holy he is, the fear of God, and that there is a, Derek Prince said that when, when revival comes, the first thing God will do is electrify the fence. Because anybody riding the fence is going to either get for the Lord or against the Lord, but all this little games people play if hypocrisy has got to go. And so that's what we're dealing with tonight because revival, you cannot have a major revival without the holiness and fear of God. And I'll tell you that sometimes we use this word flippantly about revival, but what I'm talking about in regards to revival is not just putting a sign outside and having a good speaker for a week. I'm not talking about that. That's just some good sermons and series and, and powerful moves of the Lord there and people getting healed and delivered and all that. That's awesome. But what I'm dealing with is a sovereign move of the Almighty. And when he comes down, he comes down to take over. We just better cooperate with him. And he's going to clean house, okay? Now, one of the things that really concerns me right now is what I've been seeing since the 90s revivals, which I'm a product of that move of God in my own personal life, is we went from a fear of God and gone to an extreme of the other direction. See, there was a time that churches, I believe, if you go back and look at the 60s, 70s, and 80s and all that, you could see where there might have been some legalism. And I'll talk a little bit about that tonight. And there, there was, there was too much maybe of an emphasis on the do's and don'ts and the rules and measuring up and all of that. And I understand that that's not necessarily a good thing. And God really raised up Derek Prince and God used him to expose witchcraft. And as he was dealing with witchcraft, he was dealing with legalism. Do you remember the book of Galatians? What was Paul dealing with there? He was dealing with a religious spirit, and he said, who has bewitched you? There's a connection there. And so Derek taught on that. He's talking about don't focus so much on the rules because it's not the do's and don'ts that save you. It's being born again. But here's the problem. He brought in some really good teaching there that we needed to hear. But now, all these many years later, decades later, it's gone the entire extreme, the other direction, where now it went from legalism all the way over to complete lawlessness like anything goes in some places. And so that's a scary place. So that's what I'm dealing with tonight is the fear of the Lord and the lack of the fear of the Lord that I'm seeing in many places. So Psalm 96 verse 9 is the main, one of the main scriptures I want to look at. It says this, oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's the way God views it. Everybody say the beauty of holiness. When you really have a revelation of the holiness of God and who he is, it is an awesome and a beautiful thing. And the Bible tells us, be holy for I am holy. Holy means set apart. People should be able to look at our lives and see a set-apart life that we're different. They can see something different about us. How many would say, Pastor Scott, years ago, I was one way, but now I'm a new creation in Christ, 
and I'm a completely different person today. See, that's the holy work of God right there, holiness. You left the old, and you've come into the new. So the word holy, kadosh in Hebrew, implies set apart. So if you were to take tonight, I mean, this is not necessarily the best example, but I'm going to make it brief. This building we're in here, you know, we have neighbors, neighboring buildings, and if you were to take a building over there and over here, and we came in and we were going to purchase this building, they're all just buildings. But if you come in and you set this one apart as holy unto God to be used for God's purposes in the earth, you anoint it, you pray over it, it's set apart, it becomes a holy thing. And God expects, once it becomes holy, he expects you to treat it with respect because it's holy unto him. And that's what I'm concerned about tonight because I see kind of a flippant attitude. When we come to the house of the Lord, we're coming into a holy place. And we need to understand that there's terminology, there's mindsets that have changed and certain things have been lost. But I can't get past this. I've said a lot to you guys for those that haven't heard this. There was a time that the sanctuary was called a sanctuary and it was treated as a holy place of worship and prayer where God met with people. And now in some places it's called an auditorium and what do you do in an auditorium? You entertain people. There's a big difference between a sanctuary and an auditorium. But Psalms 96 verse 9 says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness and tremble before him all the earth. The word there, tremble in Hebrew, is fear the Lord. It's like a fear and a trembling before a holy God, okay? So some of these things I'm going to read are, they're funny, but they're not funny. Let me explain what I mean. It's facetious would be the word. It's humorous, but because of what it's discussing, it's really not funny. I'll show you what I mean. There was a time in Pentecostal spirit-filled circles when people understood holiness, and I think about, you know, we just had this conference and God came down really powerfully. And one of everybody, all of us were touched. How many were touched in the conference? I was mightily touched. But some of the young people, there was one young person that's in school. And this stuck out to me because he was going to go out in his school for the, the football team. And he's a talented young man and, and he was going to do really well in it. But God touched him very powerfully in the revival. And whenever he went back home, he goes out to try out for the team, and he said that he was around just so much secular worldliness and just, I mean, constant profanity with the players and the coaches and all the secular music and the, the party lifestyle and everything else that was going along with it. And listen, this was a young man, a teenager on his own. Once he encountered the holiness of God and God did a work in his life, he told his pastor, and his pastor was thinking to himself, Man, I wish he wouldn't do this because I don't think it's a good move for him spiritually, you know. Well, he on his own came to the pastor and said, Pastor, I've decided I'm not going to go out for the team. Listen to what he said, because I don't want to lose what God's done in my life. Wow. Let me tell you, that right there is what the Pentecostal circles of times past, what I grew up around was that God had so touched people had done such a work in their life, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, 
that the reason why I think many of them maybe went sometimes a little too far in the legalism was because they didn't want to lose, though, what they had with God. You understand? That's a good heart. Now, maybe they went into a little bit of legalism in that, which I'll talk about, but their heart was in the right place. They didn't want to lose something. And see, the deeper that we go in God, it's like the tabernacle of Moses. You can get away with some things in the outer court that'll kill you in the Holy of Holies. You understand what I'm saying? Why do you think Ananias and Sapphira that happened to them? When the holiness of God, when the presence of God was awesome and somebody was lying to the Holy Ghost and the presence of God, it killed them. But listen, when we're in the outer court, it's one thing. It's large. It's all about just kind of a salvation experience, the blood and water. But when you start going deeper and you get past that first veil in the holy place, that's like the baptism in the Holy Ghost. You begin to operate in the, the you know, the bells and pomegranates, the, the fruit of the Spirit's going to increase and because you're being sanctified. The, the bells represent the gifts of the Holy Spirit and tongues. And, and you begin to experience more of the Lord. There's that location, the holy place is much smaller. So there's less people that are going to go in there with you. How many have felt that you've gone deeper in God and you've had to leave some people behind? And as they went, as you go deeper in the Lord, now you're beginning to have what's known as a Pentecostal experience, a baptism in the Holy Ghost, a baptism of fire. You're entering into the supernatural realm. You're, you're now beginning to have encounters with God. And guess what? Some of your convictions start changing, don't they? There's things that you used to watch and people you used to hang out with and things that maybe places you went, conversations you used to have. Now the Holy Spirit is convicting you and it's different. And once you get even deeper in God, you've had a Pentecostal experience, but now you're standing at that second veil. And all of a sudden, God begins to send a great revival in your life. And you go past the veil, so to speak, and you get into the glory of God. And I mean that deep manifest presence, and you go deeper in Him. Well, guess what? Your convictions are going to get even more narrow now. The deeper you go in God... And the more his presence increases in your life, the more different you're going to be about some things. The beauty of holiness. We want the presence of God, but you can't have the manifest presence of God if you're going to have flippant sin and compromise. It doesn't go together. So I say some of these things humorously. There was a time in some of our Pentecostal spirit-filled circles that women didn't even wear makeup, and they dressed real modestly. Some of you remember those days. And now, even men will try to wear makeup. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny. You know what I'm saying? There was a time that wearing jewelry, and again, this is legalism, okay? There was a time even wearing jewelry in Pentecostal circles was frowned upon. But now people run around immodest, not wearing hardly anything at all. One guy said, my mother wore more clothes to bed than some women wear to church nowadays. God help us. <laughs> it's funny, but it's not funny. It grieves the Holy Spirit. There was a time that there was order in the home, even in secular society it was understood the husband was the head of the home and wives submitted and children obeyed and honored their parents 
But now that seems to be a thing that many have gotten away from. Worship in church, unfortunately, in a lot of places, has become more like what would look like a nightclub full of entertainment. The holy sanctuary that was once filled with intercession and heartfelt worship, as I said earlier, has become an auditorium of entertainment. The meat of God's word that used to be preached is I remember back in the day, 80s, 90s, and I remember people become so hungry to hear the word of the Lord. They bring their Bible, bring a notepad, take notes, hunger. They love the word, and now it seems like they just want a motivational speech that tickles the ears. Is that not end-time prophecy or what? And unfortunately, in a lot of places, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit has been pushed out the back door. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to convict of sin. He's going to deal with worldliness. He's going to deal with carnality. People are going to be grieved over their sin and get right. And see, if your motivation is just to get as many people there and the big offerings and the big facilities and that's your motivation to build something large and get as many people there as you can you don't want the holy spirit there messing up your little agenda hello but how many i know i'm preaching to the choir here but how many want book of acts christianity let god come down let the harvest come in as i'm gonna tell you god's wanting to pour out his spirit and he's getting us ready here there was years ago i remember this it was probably 2010 we were really just starting out, and there was a lady that had had a vision. I always felt it was from the Lord. She was a woman of prayer, and she saw us eventually in River of Life coming in and gathering together, and she said that she had this really powerful vision God gave her. And she said in this vision, I think she had been hit by the power in a service and was out under the power and had this vision, if I remember right. And she says she saw Jesus coming in, and he was like hovering over. His feet weren't on the floor. They were kind of hovering. And she said the presence of God was so awesome and that we were on such holy ground. How me along for that. But here's the thing. It's going to require us being holy and having a fear of the Lord in our lives, you see. So Jesus taught us this in Luke 12, 5. I think I'm probably going to read some passages in the Bible tonight that you're not going to hear too many places anymore. Is that okay? So in Luke 12, verse 5, Jesus said this. He said, but I will show you whom you should fear. Everybody say fear. Jesus said, fear him who after your body has been killed has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, Jesus taught us, repent or you will perish. And he taught us to have a healthy fear of God. The apostle Paul taught us, work out your salvation with what? Fear and trembling. The apostle Paul taught us in Corinthians to be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Come out from among them and be separate. And Jesus himself taught us this passage. And if this isn't a sobering passage in the Bible, I don't know what is. He said that not everyone, Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a lot of people that say Jesus is my Lord, isn't there? 
But he said, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many, everybody say many. So Jesus didn't talk about one or two people. He said, many people will say to me on that day, judgment day, they're standing before him. Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles. You can't do that unless you're in the household of faith here, guys. We did all these things in your name, and Jesus will declare to them, I never really knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So the question is, do we really know him, or we just know about him? See, that's the difference between religion and true biblical Christianity. Do we actually have a relationship with the Lord? Is he speaking to us? Is he convicting us? To think about my wife's powerful testimony. You know, she came out of deep darkness. Her family was in deep darkness, and it, it was bad. And truthfully, if she hadn't got geographically relocated out of where she was, I have serious doubts if she would even be alive today. Anyway, she got here, but here's the thing. She finds a Gideon Bible in her car, knows nothing about God. The only thing she knows about God, she's never been to church in her entire life, is the movie Jesus Christ Superstar. That's literally it. And that movie wasn't necessarily the best movie, but whenever you come out of deep darkness, and she's over there going, yeah, I mean, that really... And so, I mean, that was the only thing she knew. But for some strange reason, unbeknownst to her at the time, she'd watch that thing over and over, you know. But anyway, she didn't know anything about God, anything about holiness. She finds this little Gideon Bible, goes to the back, says the sinner's prayer, but something happened in her. I mean, notice when you're born again, you're different. And she finds herself after a little while with no biblical knowledge, no training whatsoever, that all of a sudden she's finding that she's feeling bad about things that never bothered her before. She needs to quit doing this. She needs to quit going over here. She needs to quit participating in this. There's no reason for these feelings that she can think of, but she's feeling something in her saying, you need to quit doing that. What is that? That's the Holy Spirit. And so we know the story, you know, God relocated her from the Pacific Northwest to Texas, and a wonderful man of God took her under uh, his wing, him and his wife, and began to mentor her and helped her get delivered from a lot of things. But long and short of it, she, she found the Lord, and the Holy Spirit was cleaning her up. If you're really, truly the Lord's, then God, you're going to have a relationship with him. He's going to speak to you. He's going to be able to tell you, I want you to quit doing this, that, or the other. You're going to sense a conviction in your life. How many can say the Holy Spirit doesn't let me get away with anything anymore? I remember when Lyndall Cooley was preaching for us up here, he said, he said, man, back when he backslid some, he said his parents were praying for him. He said, the Holy Spirit just made me miserable, convicted me. And he, he was joking, but he was saying, you know, people say how nice the Holy Spirit is. He said, well, the Holy Spirit was kind of mean to me, just convicting me, making me miserable. And, but the, the Lord was drawing him back. And let me tell you, if the Holy Spirit is really in us, and he's doing a work inside of us, and we're truly the Lord's, then we're not going to be practicing lawlessness. What that means is living in unrepentant sin. If you read 1 John chapter 3, 7 through 
10 or so. It says this, let no one deceive you. He who is righteous will practice righteousness. The one that is sinning is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. This is how we know the difference between God's people and the devil's. And he said this, if God's seed is in us, we can no longer continue to sin. Because the Lord lives in us. How many knows that the Holy Spirit isn't going to let you get away with it? He will convict you and draw you to Jesus. Now, it's the Holy Spirit's job, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, to convict us and to teach us the holiness of God and the fear of the Lord. But what he will do is he will lead us to the solution, which is what? The cross. So he will convict us where we're at, but ultimately, he turns us toward Jesus to glorify him and draws us, what, to the blood that is the remedy for our sin. If we confess our sin, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's the Holy Spirit that makes it understood to us, sin versus righteousness. Does this make sense tonight? He will convict us, but then he'll lead us to the cross. He'll show us our unrighteousness, but he will bring us to the blood of Jesus. It's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. How many would say since the Holy Spirit has entered your life that he has softened your heart? You see, the Bible talks about Ezekiel, I'll take out a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Let me tell you that there's people out there that their hearts are hard. There's many out there, the Bible says, I think it's 1 Corinthians 4, 4, it could be wrong, that the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers that they can't see the knowledge of the truth. Satan is the one that's hardened people. You know, I don't want to sound negative, but here recently I felt the Holy Spirit tell me this. He says, son, you're not going to be able to get through to a lot of these people anymore. But he said this, but the Holy Spirit can. You see, right now we're seeing so much in the world, so much thick darkness coming, and people have opened so many doors to the devil. And I mean, their hearts have gotten so hard. But I'm going to tell you, the power of the Holy Spirit can pierce through the hardest heart and can bring, I mean, the most stubborn person, the guy nobody ever thought would get saved, can bring him to his knees in tears. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. But we're not going to have that in our lives or in our churches until we repent and have the holiness and the fear of God back. I'm just telling you. In 1 Timothy 4.1, it warns us that in the latter days, the Holy Spirit was telling the Apostle Paul, so I'm giving you a prophecy. This is not necessarily in your day, but one day in the latter days, the Holy Spirit told Paul, he said that some will fall away from the faith. Are we not seeing that today? I know that we look at this, and I've heard people say this in America, that there's, there's so much division and all that, and I get that, and the Bible says a kingdom divided can't stand. It's a warning. It's not a good thing that we're divided, but I do believe it's a sign of the times. And let me tell you why. The Bible says in Revelation, if you read it, to the one that's sinning, keep on sinning. Until one who's going to be righteous continue to be righteous. There's something about the wheat and the tares being separated. It's almost like the Lord is drawing a line. Some are falling away, but others are going after God, and God's drawing a line in the sand saying, are you for me or against me? Well, here's the thing. The ones that are against him are getting more and more aggressively against him. And the ones that are for him are getting more and more radical for him. 
And there's no way that there's not going to be some kind of a division in that. Is there? But the Holy Spirit says in the last days, some are going to fall away from the faith. What, what happened here? Paying attention to seducing spirits. That translates deceiving spirits. See, people are being drawn away. I think about how Paul said about Demas, who was with him, one of his disciples, somebody that traveled with him, a companion, probably a close friend. Paul, Paul, with a broken heart, said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. One who walked with Paul and no doubt saw miracles, saw what God was doing, experienced the power of God, yet that seductive pull of the world took him away from the Lord. They're seducing spirits, deceiving demons that are drawing people away. They're, they're drawing people into the world of the occult. Did you know that I, I read this from a credible source that right now Christianity has been on the decline in America over the last decade or two but you know what one of the major increases spiritually speaking in America has been witchcraft people are being seduced into the world of the occult which is a major open door to demonic spirits there they've already many have been seduced into sexual immorality people are being seduced into substance abuse and they don't realize the type of doorways in the spiritual world that they're opening for the enemy in their life by doing these things. But they're being seduced and pulled away into various things that have got them in captivity now. And also it says, and teachings of demons. So there's doctrines of demons, there's teachings of demons out there, new age teachings, you know, Eastern religion, philosophies, there's all kinds of doctrines of demons. And unfortunately, I would say that in, in some places now in Christendom, there's doctrines of demons that are teaching people that basically they can live in unrepentant sin and still go to heaven when they die. That is a doctrine of demons. If you've been told that, get away from whoever's telling you that nonsense. And let me tell you something too. I think that there's deceiving things that are being taught right now that have maybe never been taught in the last 2,000 years. One of them is that supposedly your sins of tomorrow are already forgiven. So they're leading people to believe some type of weird fake grace that tomorrow and the next day and the day after that, you can live in sin because it's already forgiven 2,000 years ago. These are doctrines of demons. Did not the Bible warn us that there would come a time that people would not listen to sound doctrine? But what are they going to do? I just get a mental picture, and I don't think this is far off. Spiritually speaking, they're plugging their ears going, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it. But what do they do? The Bible says they gather unto themselves teachers that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. And people that are, uh, that are sinners, you know, one of the things that's bothering me right now is I think the church world needs to quit catering to the goats. Maybe we need to quit caring about what the goats think about anything. You know, God has called the church to be a gathering of sheep. You get a whole bunch of rebellious, stubborn goats in there, which is what's happening in a lot of places. And they want their way. Well, nobody really cares what the heathen want in church. 
But let me tell you, there's a separation that's coming in the near future where the Lord is going to draw a line in the sand. And I'm, I'm concerned because in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, it deals with the church, and it gives a warning. And it says that unless you repent and return back to your first works, I will remove your lampstand out of its place. What is the light that we have? I know Derek Prince said something that always stuck with me. You know, he got saved in the 40s back during the Second World War. He was in the British Army out in the wilderness. I'm talking about in the desert. And he was in his barracks, and he was reading the Bible to disprove the Bible. And he read it from a purely philosophical study, right? And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit falls on him. He accepts Jesus as his Savior. And not only that, God visits the man in the barrack by himself, and he's baptized in the Holy Ghost. And he said this for years. He said in the military out there in the wilderness, I'm talking in the desert, he said, the only thing I had because I didn't have a church and I didn't have any type of teaching, he said, I had the word of God and I had the Holy Spirit. But he said, I grew leaps and bounds and God did a tremendous work in me that has stayed with him the rest of his life while he was alive. He said that that work God did in me affected the rest of my life. Let me tell you, what has God given us as his covenant people? He's given us his word and he's given us his Holy Spirit. Now, the lampstand that is being that the Lord threatened to remove, if you look at the lampstand, the Bible says that the word will what be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. It's the true word of God that's our light. But also, the top of the menorah that's lit, the fire there represents the sevenfold Holy Spirit. That's what God has given us. Now, here's the scary part. If people don't repent in some of these places, that are just, I love them, and I'm not trying to be critical, but I think that this is serious enough to say it. If it is just, everybody hear me? If it's just a social gathering, it's entertaining, it's motivational speeches, it's something, God help us, that's just man, then the Lord is saying, if you don't repent and get back to the holiness and back to the actual gospel and teaching people my, my ways, and it actually be a real church before me, he said, don't be surprised if I don't remove your lampstand and then what? Thick darkness will replace it. There is going to be apostate people and apostate churches in these last days. And I believe that we're already seeing it. See, up until the 1950s, most Pentecostal, Pentecostal spirit-filled people were referred to as holiness because of their conservative lifestyles. I mean, remember some of those days. So there was a time in America that people could have seen. Now, let me go back. I'm looking at the time of the Azusa Street Revival. So there was a holiness movement. I mean, you had groups of people back in the 1800s like that were still Puritans, that were Quakers, that were still like Mennonite. They, they, they kind of lived so set apart from the world that even just the way they dressed was different. I mean, they were really into holiness and being set apart. Well, when the Holy Spirit fought, fell at Azusa and the baptism of the Holy Spirit came, which I know it started in Topeka, Kansas, but as the, Holy, the baptism of the Holy Spirit began to really explode and there was doctrine formulated and all that, that move, that revival married together with holiness 
and it became known as Pentecostal holiness. And that continued on in our nation up until the, about the 1950s. And people would see those that were Pentecostal, had that type of background, and their lifestyle was radically different. But something changed around the 60s. Something shifted. And let me show you a couple of things. Not long ago, spirit-filled churches even railed against the, the schools, the public schools, for some of the dances that they had. But now, in some places in 2022, even the sanctuary, the pews or chairs or whatever be cleared out for some of the young people to dance seductively to popular rap and pop music. It was unheard of in times past for alcohol to be among Christians. Now, unfortunately, in some places, beer is passed out and alcohol has become commonplace. And even in some places, marijuana is permitted. Tattoos and piercings were unheard of among Christians. Now, in some places, people are getting covered in them and encouraging others to do it. And there's even some places where they actually offer it at the church. God help us. They think that by becoming more and more worldly, that somehow they're not having a religious spirit or something. It's, it's a deception. Un, ungodly entertainment in times past among spirit-filled Pentecostal people ungodly entertainment was kept out of their lives but now it's like anything goes it was unheard of in pentecostal churches pre-1950s that sexual immorality would be tolerated at all but now and, and there's places that it will never even be mentioned from the pulpit yet there are dozens of people in the congregation that are cohabitating together unmarried in sexual immorality and it won't even be challenged tell me that we're not living in the last days but i'll tell you this you know what the solution is revival and god is about to do it and when the lord comes the fear of god will come the holiness will come and god will begin to clean out his church the unrepentant goats are going to go flying out the back door and we won't hear from them again. The tares will be separated from the wheat. There'll be an influx of a harvest of souls, like a mass influx. You know, Jesus taught the parable about the dragnet. Remember? The dragnet was thrown out, and I mean, a huge harvest came in of fish and all this, you know, and the angels went through and began to throw out the bad ones. God is going to do it. He's going to purify once again. When holiness and the fear of the Lord was present, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit was active. It's no accident that the Holy Spirit is being pushed into some back room somewhere, and at the same time, so much worldliness has filled the place in the house. It goes together, you see. But when the Holy Spirit is moving in great power, worldliness and carnality and all that's going to go out the door. In times past, there was fiery preaching that brought the lost to Christ and the backslidden to the altar for repentance. And also in times past, people were praying for the sick and they were healed. And it was common. Deliverance from demon spirits was taking place. The gifts were in operation. I mean, you'd hear a message in tongues, interpretation. The power of God was present. I want to tell you, even in just 
regular, what we would consider regular Pentecostal churches, people were hungry and, and they would gather to pray and God would come down. I remember Brother Holt was telling us that he said back in the East Texas that, and this was just a typical spirit-filled Pentecostal church. He said the Holy Spirit sometimes fell so hard in that church. He said he remembered a time he was on the platform and the Holy Spirit fell and the entire congregation was falling under the power of God. Just right there, he couldn't believe it. I mean, there was many times it was Sunday night services. Remember, many times people linger and the Holy Spirit would fall and people be out in power speaking in tongues and people testify getting healed of this and delivered of this. But these places understood the holiness and the fear of God, though. So let me give you a few other scriptures. I guarantee you this is not one of the scriptures that's going to be preached this weekend in American pulpits. You ready? How many loves the whole Bible? I never was one to get out my scissors and cut something out. I remember years ago, I was ministering to a bunch of, there was a bunch of young people. God sent me to this place. And I mean, they, they were, it's very eclectic. They were from all over the place. All type of ethnic backgrounds, all type of socioeconomical backgrounds, every type of background you could imagine. It'd be one that used to be a witch, one that used to be a gang member. And I mean, I was there just, and here's what I did. I opened my Bible and I just preached it straight. I told them the way it was. And you know what happened? They came down and got saved. God healed the sick. God delivered them from demonic spirits and baptized them in the Holy Ghost. And we'd have services. Every one of them out earned the power. Some of them had to be carried out. If you just preach it straight. I didn't get in there and think, oh man, this might offend this one over here or this one. So I'm not going to preach on this today. It's time for all the sissy preachers to go sit down and let real men and women of God get the pulpits back. Amen. So anyway, Hebrews 10, 26 says this, for if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. This is New Testament preaching, by the way. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries of God. Anyone who ignored the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has insulted the spirit of grace? We, we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of a living God. The New Testament doesn't seem to shy away from telling us we need to have a healthy fear of God, does it? Now, this type of fear of God was what was coming down in revivals. I remember, at, you know, my experience in the 90s, I remember seeing people at Brownsville I mean, weeping. These people didn't know. They had no church background. You could tell. And they would be in there, and the Holy Spirit would fall, and the evangelists would be given an altar call, and the fear of God was palpable. I mean, you felt electricity in the atmosphere. You, even though you might have been saved, you felt like, I need to get saved again. It was the fear of God in that place. And these people had never known. They were down there. They were just weeping and wailing under that fear of God, that conviction. Thank God for it. And I read about this in historical accounts. I remember reading about Cambridge. One of the, Barton Stone said one of the most common manifestations was the Holy Spirit would come in. There'd be such a fear of God. P 
people would just break out running away from it, try to get away from it just to collapse along the way and get saved. We need the fear of God back more than anything else. I'm concerned that there's Matthew 7, 21 that I read. I'm concerned about this. Many will say to me on that day, Scripture. You know, I think I talked about this in River of Life. I preached somewhere else. I might have mentioned it there. So forgive me if I mentioned it already in this, but I had a time in 2003 where I was able to spend some quality time with Steve Hill, and I, I remember it was just the two of us, and I was asking him a lot of questions. I wanted to pray for me for impartation, but I wanted to learn different things from him, and he told me back then, this is 2003. It's almost 20 years ago. All right, I just had a I feel old moment. Now let's move on. Anyway, and so he was telling me, he said this emerging movement here about seeker-sensitive type of thing, this is what he told me. This is his words. He said, it's a joke. He said, I, he said I'll give you an example. He said, I know a, a pastor right now is a friend of mine. He pastors one of these mega churches. And he said, I asked him, I said, brother, if there was a, somebody come in like a terrorist and set off a bomb in that place and that all those thousands of people perished all at one time suddenly right there, he said, Pastor, how many people do you think would go to heaven out of your congregation? And the pastor stopped for a moment, told him, said, maybe half. And Brother Steve said, well, dear God, brother, you better tell them. Do you see what I'm saying? What's the motivation? Look, I'm not trying to be critical here. What's the motivation of not telling them? Are you just interested in numbers and the offerings or something? That you're more concerned about that than their eternal soul? Or maybe it's that you have an issue with, I want everybody to like me. Man, listen, if you're going to be in the ministry, you better get over that pretty quick. Because <laughs> people ain't going to like you for no reason. So that, that right there is what I'm talking about. When the fear of God comes, and Steve Hill knew about revival, he saw it himself. When the Holy Spirit comes, that fear of God comes. He preached a sermon during those days called Strike the, Strike the Viper's Nest. And he was talking about Paul and the Isle of Malta whenever they built that fire and that snake come jumping out. Biddy, remember that story? And he said, you know what? When the fire of God comes, you'll be surprised how many hidden snakes will start coming up. It's true. Hebrews 12, 14, and I'm going to close with this scripture tonight. It says, pursue peace with all people, but listen to this part, and, the, and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So in other words, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I didn't write this. I'm reading it. And I'm going to tell you, God didn't have a problem writing his book for us. We need to humble ourselves and say, if the Bible says it, it's true, and I need to line up my life with the Word of God. But the Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. So I want to ask this question as we close out tonight. How many people, you may just be religious, but not necessarily born again? And there's some people out there that's going to be watching this. Are you really born again? Have you experienced a new birth? Do you really know him? If you know him, then what's he been saying to you lately? 
Do you have an actual relationship with the Lord or are you just religious? You see, there's a big difference between knowing about him and personally knowing him. And if you walk with him, the Bible says you walk with him in the light as he's in the light, then the blood of Jesus will cleanse you. Why? Because as you're walking in the light with him, he's showing you the things that you need to repent of. You can see it because you're in a relationship with him. And you're walking with him. And he says, well, you need to quit saying that. You need, and I love, I love at Brownsville, all these people get saved. And I remember that they would talk to the group of people there and they would tell them, listen, and they use this analogy. I love this. He said, a high school student, when you break up, when she broke up with her boyfriend, what does she do? She's going to take the jacket that he gave her and throw it back in his face. If, you know, if he gave gave her a ring she's going to take it off and throw it back at him say get out give him back his stuff he said look once you've left the devil and you broke up with him and you've come into a relationship with jesus how many knows it's time to start flushing the drugs down the toilet it's time to start dumping the alcohol down the kitchen sink it's time that you start getting rid of the pornography it's time that you quit going to these places that you used to go to places of sin there's people that you're not going to be able to hang around anymore. You're going to be different. And if you really know him and he really is your savior and you're born again, you're not going to be able to continue to live a lifestyle of sin because the Holy Spirit will make you miserable in it. Thank God for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for convicting me of my sin. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for not giving up on me and not letting me get away with anything. How many feel that way tonight? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Listen, I'm going to tell people today, those that are watching this, make sure that everything's right with you and Jesus. This is the time. All right, so I'm going to pray. And then tonight, I want us here in a moment to pray with people. But Lord, I thank you for those that are watching tonight. And there's, the Bible says the God of this age has blinded the mind. There may be people that don't know Jesus out there. In the name of Jesus, we bind the enemy. You will release that harvest right now. We break your power. That that blinding will fall off their minds and off their hearts right now. And Lord Jesus, I thank you by the powerful Holy Spirit to move upon people. Grant repentance. Grant eternal life. Open them up unto salvation. This is the time to look to Jesus and say, Lord, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. Let me be born again. Let me truly be yours. Pray to him tonight. So here's what we're going to do. I want to pray with people in this place here. And so let's go ahead and kind of move things out of the way and get set up for that. And I'm going to believe God to begin to touch some people real powerfully. If you need to be set free from something, if you need to be healed of something, 